Thank you. Well, we're in the Gospel of Mark, so if you would turn there, Mark chapter 4 in your Bibles, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So Mark chapter 4. And I'll begin reading in verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were along with him. And a great wind arose, and the the waves uh, beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? So fearful. How is it that you uh, have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who is this? Or who can this be? I'm I'm reading things that aren't there. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And Father, we pray, as we always pray, Lord, that as we take a portion of Scripture and we study it, we pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord. Please speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got to wet my whistle. I had a cracker between services, and obviously. The Sea of Galilee. You know, we know from the Gospels that uh, Jesus did a lot of his ministry around the Galilee. And um, they would go, no doubt, across and up and around, and they would be on that body of water uh, quite often in uh, you know the public ministry of Jesus. You guys know that the Sea of Galilee is actually a, a, a freshwater lake. It's only about 13 miles long and about seven miles wide. Um, they say that, depending upon, I guess, you know, the, the level of the water, but it's about 150 feet deep. But it's below sea level, not as far below as the Dead Sea, but the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. And so this was the same day, it's apparent from the text, that this was the same day that Jesus was teaching these parables that we've been studying for the past few weeks. And so it was evening, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, um, this is a familiar portion of scripture, isn't it? You guys have read this. You've probably read it. If you haven't read it or studied it out of Mark's gospel, you surely have out of Matthew's or Luke's. They're all three of the synoptic gospel writers have this particular account in it. We, we know how, how it begins. We know how it ends. Uh, you know, we've read it. You kind of move on. But obviously I have a purpose and what I'm going to be teaching today. So in order to kind of frame that out, I want to leave this for just a moment, and I want to, I want to remind us of something. And this is all springboarding off of the statement or the request of our Lord when he says, let us cross over to the other side. 
you know, I was thinking uh, this weekend that before coming to faith in Christ, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about what we were, our spiritual condition before coming to faith in Christ. And it's not good. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really pretty sad. We're all at one point in our life, and if you're not a believer, you're still there. I, I, I'm not, don't want to insult you, but it's just the fact of the matter. You're still there. Um, but, but the Bible describes it this way, that we all walked according to the course of the world. It has the idea of a weather vane. You know, a weather vane, you used to see them on old farmhouses, and wherever the wind happened to be blowing, that's where the weather vane would, would point, you know, in the opposite direction. And, and the picture here is that before coming to Christ, that's kind of how we lived our life, you know. However the wind was blowing, whatever might, you know, be of interest to us, we would go that direction. But he says, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, so that's speaking of Satan, so it's not like we were just free spirits, but we were actually being driven, we were being led by Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Do you recognize that verse? It's from Ephesians chapter 2, the first two verses. So at one time, according to the scriptures, at one time before coming to faith in Christ, we were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were children of wrath. That means that we were deserving of God's wrath. You might say, well, gee, what did I do? Listen, you were just just born into this sinful state, and then you added to it. You know, anyone that has a newborn baby know that babies are sinners. And... um, (laughs) They don't have to learn to sin. They just have it, you know. But we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We were hell-bound. That might come as a shock to some of you, especially if you're young and you've been in a woke church. I mentioned the H word. But uh, hell-bound, we were all hell-bound, and we were without hope. That's what the Bible declares. But then when we placed our faith in Christ, everything changed. I mean, it changed immediately. It's almost as if the Lord said to us, let us cross over. Let us cross over to the other side. So we place our faith in the Lord, and immediately we are now children of God. We are now citizens of heaven. We are now born again. We are now new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are now presently, according to the Bible, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's the reality. And I'm emphasizing the word now because we don't have to wait for this. You know, you might say, well, wait a minute. I'm not seated in the heavenlies. I'm seated in this church, you know. But positionally, spiritually speaking, you are, if you're in Christ, you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. But even though these things are immediate upon believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we know that following Jesus is much more than just a destination. Are you guys following this? It's much more than a destination. It's not that you just say a prayer, and many times we say this prayer that we can't find in the Bible because it's not there. But, you know, just repeat this prayer after me, and we say this prayer, and then you, 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 you know, you've arrived. Well, yes and no. Because being a Christian is much more than just a destination. It is a It is a walk. It is a day in and day out walk. It is a journey. 
Peter would say it is a pilgrimage. You know, this is not our world. This is not, you know, we're not citizens of, of, of earth, but we are citizens of heaven now. But we won't experience that reality until we are either caught up to meet the Lord in the air or through death we go up to meet the Lord. And um, so this is something that is a bit of a challenge because if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time at all, you know that there are storms along the way. Can I get an amen to that? Because it's true. There are storms along the way. I'll tell you, this is the problem with much of modern day Bible teaching because there is no mention of suffering. There is no mention of hardships. There is no mention of, of storms. In fact, we have popular celebrity pastors that feel the liberty to criticize men like Job, even though the Bible says he was a righteous man, or Paul, because he had that thorn in his flesh, and you know, if he had as much faith as these celebrity preachers had, well, that, that wouldn't be an issue for Paul any longer. They don't know what they're talking about. The fact of the matter is, is that there are storms in life. There are difficulties in life. And we, we figure that out right away, don't we? I mean, it's, right away, it just seems like, yeah, I, I guess I'm not exempt from these things, you know. Well, getting back to our text. Look what it says in verse 36. It says, they took him along in the boat. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Remember, they didn't say, hey, Jesus, how about evening is here? How about if we go over to the other side of, of the lake, you know? And Jesus said, yeah, that sounds like a good day. No, no, no. Jesus said, Let's, let us cross over to the other side. But then from Mark's uh account, you might think that Jesus was just kind of along for the ride. Come on in, Jesus. You know, there's a pillow over there. Make yourself comfortable. Go ahead. Take a little nap. We're just going to go over to the other side. You know what's sad is that there are many Christians, many people who profess to be Christians, and they act as if Jesus is just along for the ride. It's my life. I make my choices. I make my decisions. We're doing this. We're going to this city, and we're doing this and that. And James tells us not to do that, but to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do such and such, this or that. But many times, as Christians even, it's like we make our plans, and then we say, Lord, now bless my plans. Almost as if that's, that's our job is to, in essence, you know, just kind of, uh, create the blueprints for our life, and his job is to make sure that the, we have smooth sailing and that he blesses our heart's desire. Well, there they are. They're on the boat. A great wind, look what it says, verse 37, a great wind arose. And we know that it was a great wind. You just read the different accounts. I was reading in different uh, Bible translations this morning. I was reading out of the New Living Translation. I was reading out of the New American Translation. Not that I needed another translation to understand the text. I was just interested in the, what words they would use to describe the storm, you know. We know that it was a bad storm by the mere fact that the disciples feared for their life. 
And we need to remember that four, at least four of those disciples, made their living on that body of water. When you think about that, I mean, how many times have they fished all night? How many times have they crossed over that body of water, the Sea of Galilee? They were familiar with this. This was their territory. I almost picture, and of course I'm interjecting something that's not recorded in the text, but, but, I, but I almost, going back to that phrase that um, they took him along, they took him along in the boat as he was, almost like he's just now a passenger. I almost picture Peter and Andrew and James and John, and, and, and there they are on the boat. Maybe it's one of their boats, you know. And, uh, and maybe they said, now, now Jesus, um, go take a nap or something. We've got this. We'll wake you up when we get there, type of thing, you know. And so Jesus, you know, he, he lays down. It's been a busy day for him. He's been doing all the work, you know. He's been teaching all those multitudes of people, and no doubt healing people and, and all that, that went with his ministry. And then the storm comes. It, it seems to come out of nowhere. You say, you're reading into the text. No, no, no. Listen, I'm just simply reading the text. These were fishermen. If the skies <laughs> looked as if there might be a storm, they would have said, Jesus, I don't think it's a good idea that we go out on the lake tonight. I think maybe we should stay here We'll, you know, get over there tomorrow morning, bright and early. But I, I don't think we should do I think that might be a dangerous thing. And they, they, there was no problem for them. They said, yeah, you want to go over? Let's go over. Looks fine. Smooth sailing. What was that that Jesus said to the Pharisees, remember, about their ability to read the skies? He says, you could read the skies, but you can't read the times. You don't know the days in which you're living. You're oblivious to that. You can tell, if, tell us if it's going to rain tomorrow or if it's going to be you know, pleasant tomorrow, but you don't know how to discern the times. The storm comes up. Maybe they were trying to comfort Jesus, you know. Jesus, it will be okay. It will be all right, you know. Don't be afraid, Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not afraid, and lays his head on a pillow, and he's out. You know the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Let me read to you a little bit from Psalm 107. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up to the heavens of the sea. Uh, They mount up, I'm sorry, let's see. They lift up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. I, I feel a little seasick reading this. And, and are at their wits end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their 
desired haven. Well, we're not there yet in the story. We're in the midst of the storm. The storm has risen. And I want you to remember that these men had been with Jesus. They had heard Jesus. They had seen Jesus exercise his authority. This is early on in the ministry of Jesus. But still, they've seen that Jesus exercises authority over demons. That Jesus does things that no one has ever done before. And yet, they're doing their best (laughs) to do what they could do. I picture them, you know, maybe they're wrestling, they're struggling at the oars, or they're they're wrestling with the, the sail, and they're bailing out water, you know, and you almost get the impression that their last resort was to wake up Jesus. Can you relate to that? How's your life going? Oh, all's good. As you're sinking. I think, and again, this is my opinion because the Bible doesn't tell us this, but there has to be a reason why they didn't wake Jesus up. And I wonder if it wasn't their pride. I could do this. We just have to work harder. If you're in the midst of a storm, I would encourage you to call upon the Lord now. Beg your pride (laughs) and call upon the Lord and ask him for help. Because he he knows what you're going through. He wants to, you know, he's there for you. Well, he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Now, I have to be honest, I have a bit of a problem with this. Because I cannot imagine how Jesus could possibly sleep. I get seasick. I get seasick really bad. And I love the water. And we've, you know, my sister and I, uh, my parents took us to the, we, you know, I'm a Southern California. California kid, don't boo me, but I'm glad I grew up down there. I'll tell you, we just had such a wonderful life. Our playground were the beaches of San Diego, and uh, my sister and I grew up surfing. That was our life, and, um, you know, we had family friends that were commercial fishermen. Uh, We would sail. We would, I mean, just that, uh, Tracy, I meet my bride-to-be, and uh, her and her father are, are, you know, sailors. Not not the kind. Not you, you, your kind. But, you know, we have pictures of Tracy. She must be 13 years old on big sailing yacht. You know, sailing out to uh, uh, Coronado Island and and beyond. You know, it's just kind of a thing for us. We love we love the water, but. To think of just, you know, up and down, back and forth, water splashing in. Guys, this wasn't, you know, like this nice little heated cabin where Jesus was sleeping with the, you know, a TV program on, you know, or something to drown out the storm. If water was coming into the boat, Jesus was getting wet. I almost wonder. I I need to be careful because 
I could be accusing our Lord of something that's wrong. But I almost wonder if he was faking it. (laughs) Because you know, guys, nothing surprises him. He knew a storm was coming. And yet he said, let's cross over to the other side. He knew a storm was coming, and yet he he laid down and, and fell fast asleep, apparently. Waves splashing into the boat. They're doing all they could do. Psalm 44, verses 23 and 24, it says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our afflictions and our oppression? You know why there's so many scriptures like that, like this? Because people feel abandoned by the Lord in the midst of storms. That's why. And the Lord knows this. And and, and this is why I believe he allows the storms of life to come into our life so that we might learn to trust him in the storm. You know, you're his if you're his. You're saved if you placed your faith in him. Can we please move beyond that? You say, whoa, wait a minute. No, that's what the writer of Hebrews said. You know, can we move beyond the laying on of hands and baptisms and kind of the element? We know these things, but can we go deeper? Can, Can your faith go deeper? Because you're going to need a deeper, stronger faith to endure the storms of life. Because the fact of the matter is, is that many people... They think, seem to throw in the towel, you know, when bad things come. Nothing surprised the Lord. Psalm 89.9, I, I could just quote Psalms all morning. It says, you rule the raging sea. When the waves rise, you still them. <laughs> you know, guys, I, wanna, I, I want to warn us of something, Christians... I want to warn us of pride because I think that, you know, first of all, I think we should be the most humble people on the planet because we're saved because we realize there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. We came to the end of our rope. We recognize the only Hope I have is outside of myself, it's in him. So we should be the most humble people on, on planet Earth, but many times we're not. And many times, you know, we kind, of, we kind of sit back and our life's going well and everything, and, and, and we see someone going through some storm, and we kind of sit back in our easy chair from our perspective, and we can cast judgment, and we can so quickly say, well, you know... They must have done something to bring this storm upon themselves. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes we do things to bring storms upon ourselves. They're self-inflicted storms, you know. I told the story at the first service when uh, Brittany, our oldest daughter, was a teenager. We had a little sailboat and we, the wind was really 
blowing and uh, it didn't seem that bad over here you know the church ended and so I said Britt you want to go out sailing oh yeah dad let's go do that so we took the sailboat over on the other side of the harbor here so on that side and boy it was howling out there and I was having a hard time even getting the mast up you know the sail up and and um and she's kind of looking at me and I you know I'm just thinking oh this is going to be fun you know and it was not fun we were in too small of a boat on too windy of a day, and it was really a stupid, stupid thing. I really thought that we were going to drown that day. I really did. It was just, I felt completely out of control. I felt like whatever I tried to do to get back into shore, we just kept getting pushed further and further out. And it was, it was a bad scene. And I prayed a lot. And I asked Brittany, I said, Brittany, pray. She goes, okay, Dad. I'm praying, you know. But sometimes, you know, and that was on me. We shouldn't have been out there. So I brought that storm in one sense upon ourselves. But you know, guys, there are times that we go through storms of life that we haven't done anything to bring this upon ourselves. Can I remind you of Jonah? Now, Jonah ended up in a storm because he was disobedient to the Lord. But in our text today, the disciples, all 12 of them, they were in this storm because they were obedient to the Lord. Okay, Lord, you want us to do that? We'll do it. And I think we need to be so careful that we don't cast judgment upon other people because they're going through some difficult storm in their life. We should pray for them. We should never forget the storms that we've gone through. We should be sympathetic toward other people. You know, guys, we're all storm riders, right? I'm glad we don't have to ride the storms every day, but the fact of the matter is is that we are not exempt from storms as Christians. And as I mentioned a moment ago, I believe that the Lord allows storms to come into our life so that we might learn to trust him in the storms. I was thinking this morning, I, I was telling the first service that I was uh, up, I was reading the text, and then I got some coffee, and I was sitting there, and I was listening to something, um, a, a kind of a, anyway, I don't want to go into what I was listening to, uh, it wasn't a bad thing, it was a, a Christian thing, and it was a short little devotional teaching on something. And so then I picked up my Bible again as the thing was ending, and my phone, you know, it just went to the next video. And so the next video began, and it's a woman's voice, and I recognize her voice only because, not because I listened to her, but because my wife would listen to her all the time, and she loved this woman, she respects this woman, admires this woman. She took our ladies down to hear this woman speak because she's such a godly example. And the woman was, uh, on the video, Elizabeth Elliot. Do you guys remember who Elizabeth Elliot is? Uh, let me remind you of something for those of you that need to be reminded of how twisted our world is today. Um, you know that Elizabeth and her husband, Jim, were graduates of Wheaton College. And of course, they had a plaque for a long, long time uh, commemorating, you know, remembering the fallen men, Jim Elliott and, and those missionaries that were killed when he was killed. Um, and, and the plaque... Um, was uh, 
I believe, removed because it used the word savages to speak of the people who killed Jim Elliott and the other missionaries. But anyway, if you don't know about uh, Elizabeth Elliott and her story, Jim Elliott, you, you need to listen to that, you know. Uh, these um, people that they were trying to reach with the gospel, they ended up killing the husbands. And um, Elizabeth Elliott went, ended up going back to those people. They killed the husbands because they believed that the husbands were cannibals. That's why they killed them. They were afraid of them. But Elizabeth ends up going back to that people with her little baby. And she shares the gospel with these people and, and brings these people to Christ and works with, in fact, she was sharing that part of her testimony. She said there was one man among these people that could do what he was doing, he, needing to translate uh, Spanish into the, the language that the, the people spoke, and then English for her. She said there was one man. She said that she heard gunshots. She said it wasn't uncommon to hear gunshots. Someone was always shooting something, you know, there in the jungles. And, and then news came that the person that was shot, that was killed, was the translator that she was working with. She said it was just one thing after another after another. The enemy did not want her to succeed or them to succeed in their mission work. But anyway, i got to cut this story short. As she was speaking, I was reminded of kind of that generation. I'm not talking about Abraham and Sarah, you know. I'm talking about a generation of people that were alive in, in, in our lifetime, at least my wife and I, older folks' lifetime. Men and women who love the Lord, men and women who were given a theme, a biblical theme, and they would speak upon this theme seemingly anywhere they went. And the theme, many times, was the theme of suffering. I think of today. I think of someone going into uh, Stephen Furtick's church or, or uh, you know, Joel Olstein's church. They don't want to hear about suffering. Man, beg that. We want to hear about how we could have our best life now. Because you know what? Modern day Christianity is all about you and me. But that's not really Christianity at all. Because Christianity is all about him. It's all about him. And the fact of the matter is, is that the devil has infiltrated the church. And he has, he has set people up for a fall. Because the fact of the matter is, none of us are exempt from the storms of life. But if we're not equipped for the storms of life, when the storms come, we think some strange thing has happened to us. We think that God has abandoned us. And because many of our, our faith is so weak and so shallow, we so quickly give up on the Lord. And it's a shame. It shouldn't be that way. I mentioned Job. You know, Job, I, I, I've been reading through Job. I, I read through Job every now and again, though. I love the book of Job. I, um, I'm glad that I don't have friends like he had. You know, his three friends, they came to comfort him. And at one point he says, you know, you guys are bad comforters. I mean, you, you're poor at comforting people, you know. And, but I'll tell you about Job. Job never questioned God. Read it. He never once questioned God. He never, boo-hooed, why are you doing this to me, God? Never once he said, oh, I wish I was never born. 
I wish I was stillborn. I, I, I wish that rather than my parents celebrating at my birth, my mother taking me and, and lying me next to her breast, I, I, I wish that there was a dirge, that there was a, 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 you know, a funeral. Remember, it wasn't just his friends, his own wife. Remember early on, curse God and die. And I hope you're not married to someone like that. <laughs> I would not want to be married to someone like that. That's horrible. But he goes through his whole thing. And, and I love Job because Job, you know, he, he always had these wonderful comebacks and everything. And he just, you know, kind of stood his ground. And then you get to the end of the book and God says, hey, Job, I got something to say. And he begins to speak. And every time I read it, I picture Job with his long hair and his big long beard. And it's all blowing back. And his hair is waving like this. Because the breath of God is speaking. And the Lord is putting him in his place. Where were you when I? You say rebuke? Yeah. And then it's, Job's turn to speak, and he says, I know that you can do everything. How'd you learn that, Job? Not from a book. I know that you could do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Going back to Elizabeth Elliot, she made this, maybe you'll remember this quote. Tracy wasn't listening to it with me. But um, she said, suffering is not for nothing. Suffering is not for nothing. Job also said, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear. This is the experience of most Christians. You're saying, you, you keep criticizing. I'm not criticizing. I'm just simply pointing out the fact that for most of us, we say, I've heard about him. I heard about him. I heard about him. And this is why we can make these kind of lofty proclamations and everything else because it's all just a mere uh, a means of, of hearing. But then when you go through the difficulties, the hardships, the storms of life, my marriage is in jeopardy. My kid's not walking with the Lord. They've, they've turned their back on the Lord and, and we fear for them. They're into things that they shouldn't be into. I'm, I'm, I'm so concerned for them. Our finances, we don't have anything to fall back on. We're broke. Don't you care, Lord, that my marriage is falling apart? Lord, don't you care that my kid is lost? Lord, don't you care that I can't pay rent or the car payment or put gas in the tank? The fact of the matter is we all find ourselves there at one time or another. I mean, this is just the reality of life. And the Lord, the Lord knew this. The Lord knew this. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. You want to see God? Listen, first of all, the Bible says no one will see God and live, you know, in these bodies. But you want to see God? You want to see God in your day? Then, then see him in the midst of the good times and the bad times, in the storms, put them in the midst of it. The Lord's there. The Lord knows. The Lord sees. 
But look, look at verse 39, you know, the storm. I'm sorry, verse 40. He asks the question, he says, how is it that you have no faith? Or it could be read, have you still no faith? <laughs> Luke, he, he records it this way. Where is your faith? Where's your faith? Now, where speaks of a place, doesn't it? So Luke's account is like, Where'd your faith go? Where'd you place your faith? And maybe if they were honest, Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John would say, Well, our faith was in our ability. We could do this. You know, um, we came up to pioneer a church, this church. And I was a carpenter by trade, never lacked for work, always looking for work. Carpenters are always looking for work. Unless you have some dream job that's like uh, the Winchester house, something like that. (laughs) You never leave it. But anyway, um, I was on staff at the church that we left. And so they said, you know, Danny, we'll go ahead and continue to pay you your... um, your salary, I think I was making three hundred. I was making three hundred dollars a week, and um, one of the other assistant pastors on staff, he said, "You know, Dan, you've got all these kids." His name was Dan as well. He says, "You know, Danny, you have all these kids. Um, I make three fifty a week. I'm going to give you twenty five. So three twenty five." I said, you know what, uh, thank you so much for paying our salary once we get up there. I'll find a job. I've never had a problem finding the job. No thing, you know. So I go out looking, and I keep looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and it's like, okay, well, obviously there's no construction work. So, okay, I start applying, and I'm applying for this and for that, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And every time I apply for something, I think, I don't know how I'm going to ever support my family off of what I'm going to make here, you know, but, but I did that. I went without work for like four months. Nothing. And the church just kept sending the salary, maybe four or five months. About three months in, I called the church and I said, thank you so much, guys, for sending that check every month. And I just want to say... You don't need to send it anymore. Oh, praise the Lord, Danny. So you got a job. I said, no, I don't have a job. Well, you don't want us to send the money? No. um, I believe that the Lord called us up here. And so the Lord's got to provide for us if he wants us up here. So please don't send the money. I said, all right. Let us know if you need something, you know. And, And I hang up the phone, you know, really feeling like, did I just do a stupid thing? You know. It makes it sound like I was this great man of faith, but I'll tell you, I wrestled with everything. Went out to the mailbox, and we we got a check for $2,000 from a couple who left two weeks before we left to come up here. They went to Maine to pioneer a church from our church, and they sent $2,000. And we managed to live off of that for two months. You know, you think of these numbers that I'm talking about, you're going, you know, it's unbelievable. And so I think it was like six months, and then I, I mean, we're down to cents, and I find a job. 
But you know what, guys? Building, you know, doing what I do as a trade. But I'll tell you, it was like the Lord was showing me. I didn't recognize it at the time. But it's almost like the Lord was saying, you know, Danny, you want to pioneer a church, but you have absolutely zero idea what it's going to take to pioneer a church. You've got to trust me for everything. And the Lord has a way of getting us into a place where we've got to trust him. You know, some of you folks went to a church in the community. I'm not pointing you out, but I'm just saying. You went to a church in the community. The pastor left to go pioneer another church. When he went to pioneer another church, he sent out letters to the churches. I received one of the letters asking if we might give so that he could pioneer another church in another community. He gave an outline of how much money he would need for the church plant. I opened up the letter. I went through the thing. I mean, he had like, you know, like orange vests for the parking people in the lot. I think you haven't even pioneered a church. You've already got a, a parking staff on the parking lot of your building that you don't have, you know. And it was a $150,000 budget to go pioneer this church. And I laughed. You know why? My budget was $15. And I went to Paul Bunyan and bought enough wood to build a little podium and a bar stool from a thrift store. And that was my budget. But you know what? It's the Lord. And, and I don't care what you may face, what you may go through. It doesn't matter. You know, you start a business or you're doing this or you're starting a family or you're married or, or whatever it might be. We're going to buy a house. Or we're going to do this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the Lord wants us to be dependent upon him. And he has a way. It's not that he's punishing us, but he wants us because I'm, I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's coming, but I think that hard times are coming for the church and for the Christian. And if we cannot stand when things are easy, how in the world will we stand when things are difficult? We won't. We will buckle. We'll begin to moan and groan and cry and whine. And why has God abandoned me? And the Lord would say, I haven't abandoned you. I haven't, I'm here. Call upon me. Trust in me. I'm, I'm almost out of time. You guys, you guys know the text. I, I just, can I encourage you to, to read dead people? That sounds so weird, doesn't it? Read dead people. Now he's into seances. No, not that kind of reading dead people. We, we would say quite often, you know, leadership people, if they're dead, they're red. And by that we mean the dead guys and ladies, they're already in heaven. They're not going to mess up. You know, they're not going to be one of those books that you take their books off your shelf because they messed up in the last, you know, lap of the race and, and disgraced their ministry and everything else. But I'm saying it for another reason. These older men, and I'm not saying that you have to go back. You have to go back in time. But I think of Elizabeth Elliot. I think of Vance Havner. You ever pick up a Vance Havner book? Pick up a Vance. I think you'll like it. He has so many little books, you know, playing uh, marbles with, with the 
diamonds and you know precious things and I mean just he was just kind of a home homey home home I did this last year. not homely homey is that a home homespun homespun he's kind of it's from south, uh, south um, not, you're thinking of say some exotic place South Carolina <laughs> so he's got just kind of that country boy just. You know, but I'll tell you, he started preaching when he was 12 years old. He didn't get married until he was in his 60s. He didn't get his driver's license until he was in his 60s. He said he had no need for it. He was an itinerant preacher. He trusted the Lord to provide his needs for him. He married when he was in his 60s. He loved this woman. They were only together for a short time before she died because they're elderly people. And he felt like his ministry was over because... He enjoyed so much having his bride with him, to travel with him. You know, it's lonely just doing this on his own for all these decades. And he says, I, I just don't think that I'll, I'll have a ministry any longer, you know. And, and he was writing a book as his wife was dying, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And people started latching onto that book. And he said, the Lord gave me a ministry after the death of my wife that surpassed the many, many decades of ministry before then. He said, there are people with broken hearts. And you, when you have a message for broken hearts, it, it resonates, not just with people that have lost their loved ones, you know, but for all people that have that, that, that longing or that loneliness or have gone through suffering. Stanley Volk. We used to have Stanley Volk up here. And uh, Stanley was an old British preacher. You guys, come on up. He was an old British preacher, and, and his theme was repentance and suffering. And, and he would come and he would speak. And you say, how, how did an old British Baptist preacher get linked up with you Calvary guys, you know? He was visiting the States, and um, he was in Southern California, and this is kind of during the, the Jesus movement, and he says, you know, we keep reading in magazines and newspapers about what's happening here at Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, that was the only Calvary at that time, and he said, is that nearby? And his friend said, oh yes, it's right down the street, and he says, well, I, I'd like to go if I could and they said oh that would be fine but you need to leave an hour early and he says why an hour early he says because you won't be able to get into the building the kids start coming in an hour before service and it will fill up in no time so he said okay you know he said he kind of laughed he said the churches that I uh, preached at that I was a pastor at most people came in late you know (laughs) but anyway so he went there it was a Sunday night he said by the time he got there, it was almost all the way filled. I'll tell you, during the Jesus movement, they would fill up the pews in this large facility. And then the kids would come and they would sit down the aisles and up on the stage. And they would just, and so he's watching the kids coming in barefoot, beads, you know, long hair, just the whole thing. And he says, then the worship started. And he said there were like these sea of hands raising up, and these young people, all the people in the church were just worshiping the Lord. And he said that he was cynical, and he thought, this is emotionalism, you know. 
It's just, uh, they're just kind of going with what, what they're feeling, you know. He said, then Pastor Chuck came out and he opened his Bible and all of those kids had Bibles and they all opened their Bibles. He said, Pastor Chuck taught, I think the number was 10 chapters out of Deuteronomy. Now that's a hard teaching. But 10 chapters out of Deuteronomy, he said that those young people turned to every page. He says after the whole thing was over, the kids stayed for hours. And they came up and they asked for prayer and and this type of thing. He said, I've never seen a move of God like that in my generation. And so he just wanted to link on, you know. So he would come to, and he'd preach at our pastor's conferences and everything. Why am I mentioning these old guys? Because they speak of a faith that's deeper than what we're hearing about and what we're reading about today by modern authors, Christian authors. They're lying to you, folks. Don't believe them, those who are not teaching the word of God, but are, but are giving you some message that, you know, you, you know, they're like the false prophets of Jeremiah's day. You know, God called Jeremiah to preach to Judah. And yet he told him, you know what, Judah, you preach, but they're not going to listen. And this is why Jeremiah is called the weeping uh, pastor. I'm the weeping pastor. No, (laughs) the weeping uh, uh, prophet, excuse me, because he would weep. He would just he would he would speak before the people and to add insult to injury. The false prophets would come along kind of like the Joel Osteens of their day. And say, you know what? Don't listen to these things. You're not going into captivity. Everything's going to be great. You can have your best life now. And Jeremiah was saying, no, God says, you go into captivity. This is part of your, part of your punishment. Take your lumps. You go into captivity and you'll live. You stand and fight and you'll die. So you need to stay. And, and they listen to the false prophets. So read the old guys. Guys, fall in love with the God of the Bible. Who is he? He's the Lord. He's the Lord who loves you. Listen, if you're not a believer, he still loves you. That's what the Bible says. He loves you. But you haven't entered into really a, a relationship with him because that comes by faith alone in Christ Jesus, what he's done for you. But he loves you. But those of us who have placed our faith in him, we need to rest in that. He loves us. So when the hardships come, when the difficulties come, weird times. We're on the verge, guys, globally. You know, some are saying that we have... We have the making of World War III. What's happening in the world? What does that mean? Well, I don't know what it's going to mean to us here. But I, I know this is going to affect us. We're dealing with another battle that's raging. And I, I hope you're paying attention to this, guys. It's very subtle. Nehemiah was reminding me of this. This war against Christians. It's interesting that it's always the Jews and the Christians. But this very subtle, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about Canadian truck drivers 
standing up because they they don't want to comply to these mandates that are affecting them directly and, and their families and loved ones. And yet, depending upon who you're listening to, they're made out to be enemies. They're racist. I don't know what makes them racist, but they're racist and they're haters and they're homophobic. I mean, how does that even come to it, you know? And, and all of these things, and you hear the most outlandish things. Have you heard that some of the Canadian, <laughs> some of the Canadian truck drivers have Confederate flags? What, what does that mean? It means nothing to a Canadian. Nothing. I don't think it's real. I don't think it's real. They're, they're making them out to be villains. But as Nehemiah was reminding me this morning, he said, you know what, Dad? Listen, because they keep saying, it doesn't matter where you're at in the world today. If you're an Australian, you're standing up against the tyranny. They're going to say, they're Trumpers? Where did that come from? They're Trumpers and they're evangelical Christians. Now, I don't care much about the Trumper thing, but I'm telling you, it is a conditioning. There is this, going to be this growing animosity because I'm telling you, people are hearing the message. They might not be connecting it, but they will eventually get it. It's the Christians. They're the problem. These people, they're the ones that are doing this or that are not complying or whatever it might be. Guys, you need to be aware of this. So when difficulties come, we're not surprised by it. We stand our ground. We fellowship with one another. We ask for prayer. We are encouraged by one another. So um, let's stand. Father, I pray that if there's any here that have not placed their faith in you, that you would do a work in their hearts, Lord. And for those that have, we pray that we would trust you. And whatever may come, in Jesus' name.